Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hey, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with Pam Gildersleeve Hernandez, the executive director of Q, who is a passionate educator, forward thinker, and technology enthusiast dedicated to supporting and empowering educators to do their very best for students. Welcome, Pam Gildersleeve Hernandez. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. This is such a great opportunity. Pam, we're so excited to have you on. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Absolutely. Okay. So can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Absolutely. So I think my path to leadership um, began as being the oldest of three siblings and always wanting to be in charge. (laughs) A bit with Jess. And you know, I didn't take a traditional path and I think I just ended up being where I'm supposed to be and that having a lot to do with my faith in God and trusting him to lead me along the path that I'm supposed to be on. So post-college, I originally thought I would work for the foreign services and was studying international public administration. Life took a turn though and I ended up substituting in the classroom and realized that work with the children and with students and in education was actually very soul-fulfilling work. I also had no intention of going into administration. I thought I could be a teacher forever, and I was a teacher for 17 years. And with the encouragement of colleagues and friends, though, asking me to go into administration because they would share with me, gosh, you know, I would like to work under you and with you as a leader. And and I did a lot of work with our local labor union and tried to bridge the gap between, you know, misunderstandings and miscommunications between administration and between staff and faculty. You know, that's part of, you know, my leadership style is bridging communication gaps because often I think we have the same goal as just how we're communicating it and are we taking the time to look at things from each other's point of view are so important. One of my wonderful mentors, Jim Brescia, walked me across the parking lot one morning after I had dropped my own son off at school and had said, hey, have you ever thought of going into school administration? I said, well, actually, not really. I know that folks ask me a lot about that, but I'm very happy with the work that I do in the classroom. And he had said, well, I'd like to encourage you to enroll in our education, leadership, and administration program. Um, Just give it some thought. And so I did. And I enrolled in the program and it was wonderful. I learned so much and I didn't choose to leave the classroom right away, Mm -hmm. Um, but a position opened up with the San Luis Obispo County Office of Education in which I had the good fortune to be able to help oversee the programs for the severely disabled, visually impaired, deaf and hard of hearing throughout our county. And it was a great opportunity to be of service with the type of learner and student who I most appreciate supporting. As my career continued to develop, it was sort of never felt really intentional, but more like what fell into my lap in terms of things that just fit my resume and fit my goal of service. And I ultimately ended up becoming a 
superintendent principal of a small rural school district and had the opportunity to work with children every single day in an environment in which I was able to know every child and every family by name, by strength, by need. And that's such a gift to be given as an educator. Most recently, I um, had the opportunity to be accepted for the position of executive director at Q in California, Nevada. I've been volunteering with Q for a little over 10 years and know that these are my people. We share the same passions and understanding of the power of educational technology to enhance and accelerate learning for students and for professional development for teachers and administrators. So pretty excited about the opportunity that I have to work with our teachers, our administrators, our team, and our board. That's super exciting. Thank you for sharing your journey. You mentioned communication, like that's something that is really important to you. And you also mentioned service. So is that how you would describe your leadership style? Very much so. I am a servant leader at heart and believe that the more responsibility we are given, the stronger the title or the position that we are honored to serve in, the greater our responsibility of service to others. And that is the focus of the work that we should be doing. Um, as a leader, that is what we are called to do. And for communication, doing the very best that we can to put collaborative structures of communication into place. And when listening and hearing others, that we are doing so in a way that we are trying to see things and understand things from their point of view, because we all have a different perspective or a different piece of ownership of the work as it moves forward. Now, you served as an educator, you served as... Yep, I've been an assistant principal, a principal, and a superintendent principal. You've done all the positions, really, which has given you opportunities to continue to learn about how best to serve and lead, which is wonderful. And now you're the executive director of Q. Can you tell us about Q and where our listeners can connect with you? Absolutely. Q is an educational nonprofit focusing on service to California and Nevada. We have about 22, 23,000 members, and it's an incredible volunteer group of educators across the two states who are the backbone of the organization, connecting in a very large professional learning network that empowers and supports educators to do their very best work. We have two premier events, one in the fall in the Sacramento area, Fall Q. We have our spring event, Spring Q, that happens in Palm Springs every March, as well as rock star events, uh, black label events, a lot of opportunities to reach out to us for private professional learning that we can bring into schools and to districts. You can connect with us at q.org. We have a free membership option, and I really encourage people to check that out, especially educators and administrators, because we are so much more than a conference. We truly are a gateway into connecting the very best work that is happening in service to our students for curriculum and instruction and using modern technology to support that learning. To connect with me personally, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, at P. Gilders, and I also have a blog that I should post to more often, but I find that I'm busy in all those other platforms. pgilders.com gives a little insight into who I am and what I value as well. Now it's Q-C-U-E, and it's an acronym for 
It's an acronym for computer using educators. We don't use the acronym as much any longer because that computer is sort of ubiquitous now, right? We all have one in our hand or in our pocket at any given moment. So it does help folks, I think, to understand the acronym as computer using educators and gives us something to hang our hat on. But overall, we identify ourselves really as Q. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Pam, can you share with us some quotes that speak to your life and why? One of my favorite quotes is from my husband that he has used as we've raised our children. And it's always be kind to everyone, no matter what, because it's being true to who you are and we are as a family. And we don't know what others are going through at any time. Be um, kind to everyone always. That's great. There are two other quotes that we share with our children. One of them is be a person of good character and service to others. That is a family value. And I think if we all lived by be a person of good character and service to others, mm -hmm. wow, what an impact that would have on us yes. as a society. And then do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. And is that your quote? That's my quote. <laughs> you go anytime there's a question about what should be done. And you know, there are those moments when we have those struggles, right? Or uh -huh. emotion gets the better of us or that you know, wanting to be defensive um, about something that doesn't feel right, but really thinking, do the right thing at the right time for the right reason, because it's not always the right time to speak up. Sometimes holding our tongue in the moment is the right thing to do with an understanding that there's something that has to be addressed, but making sure that we're intentional about addressing it at the right time for the right reason. I love that. Do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. It's an amazing mantra or quote to live by. Yeah, very simple, right? I'm like, it's yeah, so simple. I love it. All right. Now, can you tell us about a leader who inspires you? There are so many leaders who inspire me. And as I gave this thought, the one person who came up in my mind the most is Dr. Julian Crocker. Dr. Crocker was the county superintendent in San Luis Obispo for many years. And he is a gentleman who always led by doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason. He was one of my professors when I received my master's degree in leadership. And he was the first person to hire me into an administrative leadership role. Watching his style, his gentleness, his kindness, his investment in people for who they are as a human person was something that really resonated with me. And it was such an honor to have been able to learn from him and to have worked with him and really watch his leadership within our organization at the County Office of Education. He is retired. Mm -hmm. um, another gentleman that I mentioned earlier, Dr. Jim Brescia, who spoke to me about going into administration, now sits in that role as our county superintendent. And they are, are both gentlemen of, of service and very involved in education, supportive of each other, and phenomenal leaders. And truly also empowers of women in leadership roles in education. Which we love. Yes. All right. So thank you for that. Now, what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I would go is back to Dr. Crocker. 
when he hired me, I came on board with zero experience in administration. <laughs> I had my master's in leadership and I had an administrative credential when one of the questions I had, oh my gosh, how did I make the cut into this position? And his quote, hire for character and mm. teach for skill. And that was excellent advice and advice I have taken from that point forward in every position I've ever hired for, hire for character and teach for skill. Because I can teach you, I can provide you with professional learning opportunities and mentors and colleagues to learn from, but I will never be able to teach you character, or change your character, who you are. Considering that most of our listeners are educators and leaders, this certainly resonates because it's something that we need to continue to elevate throughout. So I really appreciate this. Now, Pam, as a teacher, a principal, superintendent, you've worked with many teams. What does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one? Great question. So going to the book from good to great, it's all about having the right people on the bus. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean to have the right people on the bus? And it can be very different for different teams and different organizations. It goes back to the quote of hire for character and teach mm -hmm. for skill. So mm -hmm. let's make sure that we are hiring people of the right character, but also with a right balance of characteristics in terms of who is the influencer in the group, who is the big picture thinker, who is the detail-oriented person, who's the action-oriented person, and making sure that there is a team that has divergent views, but can speak respectfully and pushing back on each other's thoughts and ideas, and seeing the different points and knowing which role we own so that we come from a strength-based approach. Um, so again, right, it's like we are going to brainstorm and come together with ideas and thoughts and action as a team and knowing that we have to have somebody that's going to have that vision and that big picture. Somebody so, else is going to come in and dial in those details and another person that will say, here's what we have to do to roll it out. And the person that can be the influencer to make sure that everybody understands the vision and is on board with it. What's an effective way to assess because it sounds like personality characteristics. And I'm thinking about the DISC. I'm thinking about color code personality assessment. Right. All of those are so good. The one I found most effective and I, the one I learned the most from was the Indigo mm -hmm. assessment because it dialed into truly those characteristics that I just mentioned. And when I took that assessment, the group I took it with, um, it was fascinating to see because we were all educators. There were about 35 of us in the group and not one of us was an action-oriented person. Hmm. That was fascinating to see. And it also showed me, ooh, how is it that we get stuck so easily in education? As educators, we often have vision. We are big picture thinkers. We are detailed thinkers. We are those folks who influence and teach. Mm -hmm. But in terms of taking the action steps and dialing in those action plans with true follow-up and accountability, turned out to be not the strength that was within the group. And looking at that then and saying, okay, now we need to be really strategic about finding that person. And it also informed my own hiring practices and asking questions specifically around, you know, tell me a story about how you take action steps or build on 
the action of a vision the team has or a plan that the team has to be strategic in getting to what personality type is it that we need to round out the team. You know, that's it's so fascinating because you said there were about 35 teachers. Is that right? Educators. So, so, wow. And it makes sense why sometimes, you know, when you look at education overall, we can get stuck. We do get stuck. <laughs> And then what you're talking about is being intentional about getting unstuck and finding people that you can bring in who do take action. And so really analyzing where we are as a team in terms of who strategically plays which role and then knowing always first and foremost, we're hiring for character. Mm-hmm. Then we're hiring for, you know, which one of these other traits that we need to have a balanced team and then investing in the professional learning and onboarding of that team member. And I love that we're investing in ourselves. I think that's really, really important. And that's part of taking action, as you know. So can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it shaped your life? Yes, so I actually had a extraordinary challenge in my career that really influenced, you know, and I pause as I think of this because it's influenced you know, how I look at what's happening in education and where we see pushback at. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Master Leadership at Schools podcast program will help prepare your students for any future they encounter. Teachers and students learn effective leadership and podcasting skills to create a platform that's an incubator for leadership, innovation, collaboration, and creativity. See this in action at masterleadership.org forward slash MLS and find out how to bring this to your organization. That's masterleadership.org forward slash MLS. It's a big story. I was falsely accused of committing basically a felony and forging a letter of resignation for an employee. And um, it was an accusation made in public and an accusation that had to be investigated. And it was awful. It was truly awful. You know, it questioned my professional and personal integrity, which I value very much. And I imagine in the blink of an eye, that was on the line. It literally was on the line in a blink wow. of an eye. And it caused other people to question my integrity. The good news is I know I can stand on my character. So as the accusation came forward, I said, by all means, goodness gracious, investigate what you have to investigate because I would never do such a thing. We, you know, when all was said and done, it was taking a look then and reflecting on why would somebody do this, right? And there was a small group of people that had come together to do this. And sometimes when people are held accountable, no matter how gently it is, to doing what's right for children and following up on sometimes policies we may or may not agree with as well, right? In terms of personnel policies and licensing, you know, even if we don't agree with it, Sometimes, you know, we have to follow what is the law and we have to do what's best for kids at all times. And there is some disagreement and things that I had no control over. Basically, Mm -hmm. they were labor code issues or requirements, certification requirements, which, you know, had I not followed through the way I had, our district would have lost an extraordinary amount of funding. But the extreme measures and that not everybody shares this idea of just, you know, doing the right thing for the right reason and being of good character. And it also showed who on our team were people of good character and how we were building it. But it 
was a good reminder to me to just, you know, remember that while that's a value of mine, mm -hmm. it is not one that is shared by everybody, but to never stray away from that as a value. And that when you carry yourself and hold yourself with integrity, it doesn't matter what anybody says, because you can always stand on who you are mm -hmm. um, with your head held high. You know, I have to commend you because to have gone through something like this, it's just heartbreaking. And at the same time, holding firm to what's true and right, it can take a lot of energy and a lot of tears and, and you fought through that. Not a lot of people go through this. What's some advice you can give someone who's listening, who quite possibly may be going through this? This, I think, can happen frequently. You know, not to the degree that it happened with me, I think, in terms of being accused of, and I don't even think they realized at the time what they were accusing me of was a felony, you know, as we dove into, like, here's what it really is. But the advice I give is to be very cautious about how one responds. So I never spoke publicly about it during that time. The conversations I had were in close session with the board that I worked for. Unfortunately, I had been working with them for over three years and they knew my character very well. Um, I was very transparent in you know, having somebody from the outside come in and take a look at my email, take my computer, take everything that you need from here. But knowing who your truly trusted support people are, you know, in my case, my board was wonderful. My husband is my rock and my foundation and was the one that I could speak to 100% completely unfiltered <laughs> when I would come home after being interviewed by an investigator and having people just say awful things about me at board meetings that simply weren't true. My husband came to these board meetings, you know, and when the attorney came with the results of the investigation that fully exonerated me and showed the evidence of who was responsible for mm -hmm. this accusation and how it happened, I was really happy that I had not spoken publicly, but that I had held my head high and with integrity and only at home let my absolutely full 100% unfiltered self mm -hmm. <laughs> come right. out in that place that I knew I had my Yes. Well, thank you for just being authentic and the generosity of sharing this story. I appreciate that, Pam. Yeah, that's a hard story to share. And I debated on whether or not to share it, right? Because even though I did nothing wrong, there still is that little bit of shame mm -hmm. in there. I thought, you know, hard things happen to other people too, but those are the stories that they embarrass us. And so we hold back from telling them, mm -hmm. um, but they are the ones where we need to be reaching out and most support to each other. And you're practicing courage, which I so appreciate because I know that hesitation in sharing a deep story like this. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? In any great success is really, you know, not a personal success. It's a team success. And the team success would be with the staff that I worked at at San Antonio Union Elementary School District our team of teachers, as I just wrapped up my four years there, came together in such a strong, collaborative, teacher-empowered manner. They just have each other's back and work so well together in a true K-8, vertically articulated manner of instruction. You know, partnering our middle schoolers with our younger students to teach each other. And one of the teachers I'm most proud of 
and it's her success, but I am so grateful to have been part of the behind the scenes pushing and connecting and, hey, apply for this and writing letters of recommendation. There's a teacher, Denise Hardoy. She's a science teacher. And she started taking our rural community and using modern technology to connect our students to the world of science far beyond our borders and participated in a polar science research project with polar scientists in Antarctica, which is oh, a wow. year Yes, which was a year-long project for our students, and uh, we ended up receiving a federal grant that allowed our students to study the impact of the drought on the local watershed and get them up to the ocean, which is definitely not a part of their everyday experience, but taking water samples and samples of different, you know, little critters that would live in the water or in the sand, and she next year has been chosen to be a teacher researcher in Antarctica and will be connecting back to our rural school district from Antarctica with our students and being part of that and creating the infrastructure in place, the academic freedom for teachers to develop their curriculum in line with standards and really empowering teachers to be their very best. Denise is amazing in that manner and I'm, I'm so proud to be part of that story. Well, shout out to Denise. This is an invitation, an official invitation, Denise, to have you on the podcast and to talk to us about. Oh, I write myself a note to reach out to her. Oh my goodness. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Pam, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? Uh, So, you know, there's of course always the reading and learning in the traditional manner, But in terms of truly being a lifelong learner, what I have found to be most impactful for me are adopting reverse mentors. And I have a wonderful group of young men and women in their 20s and 30s who teach me what's meaningful to them and their generation and what education means to them and what they are looking for for their children and how they are looking to be invested in as professionals. And that's what truly being a lifelong learner means to me. It's not just about the reading and the conferences and the workshops, but learning from the generation that we are supporting that are coming up as leaders alongside us right now. Adopting reverse mentors. I think that's so wise because we do need to hear their perspective and their expectations are, we just need to open up and listen. Oh, and have them teach us. They are immersed in a world, you know, that didn't exist for our generation in terms of how they grew up. And it's fabulous to watch them blush at the whole selfie thing. When you talk about that with them, I love it. But to also see their enthusiasm and the different styles they have in connecting with children and adults. And when they let you into their world, here's how I learned myself. Here's what I value. We get to not talk at, but partner with. And I think that's how we move forward in making the shifts in education from you know, that industrial style model of learning that still exists in too many spaces to meaningful learning opportunities and platforms for today's adult learner and today's younger student in our K through 12 programs. What are some things you would change in education? The whole brick and mortar structure and 
the set schedule, we have so many different platforms that are available to us that also need to be streamlined. I take a look at some of the things that we use way too much time and financial resources on. Um, I'll use as an example, you know, the allocation of funding to school districts based on an ADA basis, average daily attendance. You know, we have the local control funding formula in California, but we give this money to school districts and then put our leaders and our teachers in this position of having to spend awful hours preparing and negotiating and having these really difficult conversations that really should be allocated to how are we putting the right structures in place for student learning and supporting our educational professionals. <laughs> Some people will push back at this and that's okay. But having, you know, statewide parameters in place that take a look at here's how teachers should be paid, right? Here's that salary schedule. Here are the parameters, you know, through which you earn your raises and grow fiscally in your profession so that we can take that off of teachers' shoulders, take that off of administrators' shoulders so that the monies we have and the energy and time can be focused on student learning and not all this other stuff. A whole lot of stuff. Yep. Same thing with broadband infrastructure. You know, we take a look at these limited financial resources in our districts and like, wow, how do we get equitable broadband infrastructure into place for all of our schools and our homes and communities? And that answer already exists out there. Local educators should not be having to spend those, again, finite resources and time learning about what already exists and trying to find a fair way of allocating. It, I think, you know, our state should just come in and say, hey, here's the deal, right? The goal is everybody's going to have access to this. And as a state institution, we are the ones that are going to put that into place. And you as educators get to focus on student learning and teacher professional learning. Small example of things I would like to change and put into place. And very important things. Now, Pam, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well and why? So many books <laughs> out there. Goodness gracious. I don't even know where. Okay, uh, top two <laughs> or three. Okay, so Transforming Libraries by Ron Stark. That book is so much more than about the library. It's about media literacy. It's about resources and collaboration amongst educators and how we should be teaching. That is a book that just really surprised me in terms of its content. You know, I read it because we were going to be updating our library through a construction project, but it really ended up being very pedagogical based. So I recommend that book. And Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Yes, um, I'm looking at that book right now. Oh yeah, grab it, read it, <laughs> listen to it. It is wonderful. Her leadership advice and her realness in the book is really important. And if you want to just skip ahead to the last couple of chapters, that's where a lot of meat is. That's very actionable right away. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, you have a lot of responsibilities, Pam. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? So the first thing I do in the morning is get my coffee. <laughs> Thanks. That seems to be the thing that connects all of us. First thing, coffee. Nothing first. I subscribe to the Daily Hope by Rick Warren, and I find his messages and the references, especially when he jumps into the book of Psalms and the book of Acts, to be very meaningful to me. And they help me structure my day in a very mindful 
way. And so I begin my day with the daily hope and in prayer. And I end my day usually with some form of yoga, during which time my form of meditation is prayer and reflection on the day. And then it's where I ask God for wisdom and his grace and to have the people in my world provide grace to me as I move forward in my own path and to remind me and help me to always be mindful of giving grace and being a listener and helping me to move forward in the world with wisdom. Thank you. Now, Pam, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Don't worry so much. You've got this. (laughs) You know, it's human to worry. You know, one of the other things we say is, you know, pray, wait, and don't worry. That came from Father Roberto years ago. And I'm like, okay, I've got that praying thing down. I'm getting better at waiting. But I do have that not worrying thing dialed in at all. (laughs) (laughs) That worrying thing. But, you know, entering into my 27th year in education, and I find that the worrying part really just is an indicator of our level of conscientiousness often and how important something is to us. But it really doesn't make a difference Mm. to give energy to that worry, right? But to give that energy instead for myself to prayer and to listening to others and to giving myself grace when I do the best that I can in the moment, hoping it turns out to be what is right and what is best for those impacted the most. Love that. And you've got this, Pam. You've got this. (laughs) Tell myself, you've got this, girl, right? You're you're right. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, what I share with our listeners is, especially if you're in a role of leadership and, you know, when you have the opportunity to educate others, do so with grace and to do so with kindness and to truly listen and be of service to others. It's a great way to end our conversation. I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Lily, thank you for having me as part of this podcast. It was an honor to do so. Thank you, Lily. Have an amazing day. You too. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.